Gil Alexander, your betting dork. Pregame.com was happening, everybody. It is a baseball stats-filled day. This is what we show up for. Because we want to win in the end. I, again, am not here to bet just for the action. I'm trying to win. Therefore, we delve into the stats. Of course, today we'll go through the regular routine of catering to the totals baseball players. I am not a totals guy, as you know. But we want to talk about the top over and under umpires in Major League Baseball. Give you a quick list of those. The biggest run-supported pitchers per nine innings in both the American League and National League. And also want to talk about the best run-line teams and the worst run-line teams in all of baseball. That's our standard sort of roll call on Tuesday mornings, sometimes Monday mornings, but Tuesday mornings for sure. Also want to get a little into uh, the sabermetric batting average on balls in play as it pertains to starting pitchers. Um, I include those from time to time in my write-ups on a daily basis because... I look at them every day for every game, and it informs a lot of my betting. But today, I think, was a good day because I don't often include them actually written in you know the thread every day. But today was a good day where I sort of can indicate to you, you'll see how I lean on certain games, but I don't end up picking them. And you'll get a better understanding as to how close I follow the sabermetrics because there's a lot of it involved in... Uh, a few games today with some starting pitching matchups, some of which I pulled the trigger on, others of which I do not. So we will get into a lot of BABIP later in the show. As I say BABIP, I realize that's super geeky. But again, we embrace it here. Enjoy, because it wins us money. But before we do all that, uh, let me just tell you how I've spent most of my morning. I have, um, you know, been spending most of my morning on Facebook, as many people do. But not on my page, not checking out, you know, some of my hundreds of friends' pictures that I probably shouldn't be stalking. Nothing like that. No, 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 no. Not this morning. This morning, I'm hanging out on Tim Donahue's Facebook page. Former NBA referee, disgraced former NBA referee Tim Donahue, who apparently is just an idiot. Not um not because he did what he did. We all like to bet. You know, we may not have done it had we been an NBA referee. We may not have gotten snookered into being involved in the mob, though as Donahue tells it, that wasn't his fault. But I'm saying right now after the fact, after Tim has sort of served his debt to society, that he's on his Facebook page basically bragging during the NBA playoffs on how great his picks have been. <laughs> he's so stupid. He's so dumb. Uh, on May 1st uh, at 8.28 a.m., Donahue with the following entry. I was on two radio shows this week. I predicted all eight games correct. That's 8-0. and oh. I was directed not to make any more predictions. I wonder who Stern called to get this done. These shows were live and taped. All doubt should be gone. That's what Tim Donahue said uh, in the first round of the NBA playoffs or during the first round. <laughs> What's wrong with him? Oh, he's just so dumb. Now, of course, when people on Facebook are like, they write on his page because he's got like tons of fans, right? Whatever fans means on Facebook. And they're like, well, why don't you post them here, Tim? He's like, no, no, no. They were on the radio shows. Trust me. Shouldn't be any doubt. He's like the worst tout ever now. He's like, he's like everything bad about touts that we talk about at pregame. Tim Donahue is becoming that on his Facebook page. 
I'm a documented this and that. By the way, we don't even know if he's talking about against the spread here. On May 2nd, so this is later that day, right? No, the next day. The next day after the one I just read you. Tim Donahue, this is after Atlanta took down the Bucks in the first round of the playoffs. All I can say is that the Hawks will be flying high after their next game. And then he posted that yesterday. He was saying the day before, just check the score. This is Donahue now updating on his Facebook page. Atlanta blew them out. Another win. That's 11-0. I guess it's still very much predictable. <laughs> okay. This again after him saying that he hasn't, or he's not supposed to be picking games anymore. He hasn't picked since, by the way. Though there is a rumor that he picked the Spurs in one of those games against the Suns in round two. So perhaps Mr. Donahue not quite with the El Perfecto anymore. But anyway, if you have a few moments that you need to alleviate boredom today and you want some amusement, check out Tim Donahue's Facebook page. He's not bright. No, not bright at all. All right, baseball stats. We're here to win. Um... We're on a 14-4 and four run uh, on the thread. Unlike Tim Donahue, I can actually say that because you see all the picks every day in full write-up. That dude. All right, uh, let's start with the usual roll call of picks before we get into the... Uh, we'll leave the sabermetricsy stuff for a little later because that's the, that's the good stuff, man. That's the good stuff, I'm telling you. Can't get enough of that. Um, but we'll start with the umpires. Totals players. Folks who love playing totals in Major League Baseball, I am here for you, my friends. I am here for you with the umpire statistics that we like to get into each and every week. And I think what you'll start to learn today, because we're about, what, week six now, sort of? Yeah, week six. There's been like 30, almost 40 betting days uh, in baseball. So we're actually getting close. Yeah, we've actually started the, the sixth week, if you will, of betting baseball. And I think after five complete now, we can actually start to see that some of these names on the umpire lists simply aren't changing in terms of their propensity to call over games or under games. And again, I'm going to pound this every week until it occurs to us, maybe we should check the umpires before making a bet, or maybe I should specifically look for these umpires before making a bet because I might just start betting these umpires week after week on totals because I know what their record is. And after a while, it's no longer a trend. It's sort of like, wow, these guys just have big or small strike zones. So let's talk about the over umpires again. These are the umpires that have shown thus far this season in about 37 days of Major League Baseball or whatever it is, like 36 days, they have shown the biggest penchant for calling games to the over. All right? There are four umpires in baseball that have umped six times and have called five out of six over. They are, and you'll remember three of these names already, Angel Campos, five and one on overs, Lazaro Diaz, five and one on overs, Hunter Wendelstad, five and one on overs, and let's welcome, ladies and gentlemen, Mark Wegner to that distinguished group. Mark Wegner also, five out of six games he's called behind home plate this year, they've gone over the betting total line. So again, those four guys, 
They'll give you something. Tim Welke, by the way, who we mentioned, who we have mentioned before, he's four out of five, so he's right behind them. But those four that I mentioned, Campos, Diaz, Wegner, and Wendelstad, those guys are five out of six on the season. So again, I could go on and give you guys who are four out of six and all that, um, but we could be here all day. Just know that those are the group, or those guys are the, are make up the group that. Again, they show the biggest propensity to go over when behind home plate of all umpires in Major League Baseball. And at some point, again, I've, na- I've mentioned Campos, Diaz, and Wendelstad. Um, by the way, Tim Welke's four out of five. Let that be noted. I've mentioned a lot of those guys week after week, so let's just keep note of them is all I'm saying. All right, how about the opposite? How about under? How about the guys who again I don't know if it's because their strike zone is really wide I don't know I don't know you know perhaps it's just as simple as the over umpires have a really um small strike zone where the pitchers just can't get to it to save their lives and perhaps these under umps just have the hugest strike zone imaginable and these games just end quicker with batters not being as successful the biggest under umps in all of baseball. Just the opposite of what we talked about. Five out of six times, these three umps have gone under. And you'll recognize this name at the top, Tim Timmons. Five out of six for him have gone under. Also at five out of six, Bruce Dreckman and Jim Wolf. By the way, four out of five on unders. I've mentioned these two names before, Paul Emmel and John Hirschbeck. And how about one more? Four out of six on unders. C.B. Buckner, who I believe I've mentioned each and every week on unders. Umpires cannot stand C.B. Buckner. Because not only is his strike zone wide, it tends to be all over the place. (laughs) From inning to inning. From at-bat to at-bat. So again, the top three, five out of six, Dreckman, Timmons, and Wolf on the underside of things in baseball. Again, that's for totals betters. You know, it just matters. It simply matters. Whenever we can actually put a statistic in front of you that is just so key. I mean, these are human beings after all, and human beings have biases. And so these guys, when they go out and they do their umpiring job behind home plate, they come in with a certain mindset. And... If they do the same thing time after time after time again, or, you know, in this case, 83.3% of the time, five out of six in the five out of six cases, that means something. And again, the five out of six on the overs are Campos, Diaz, Wegner, and Wendelstadt, and the five out of six on the unders are Dreckman, Timmons, and Wolf. Again, interesting stuff um, on the umpires for totals betters. While we're on the subject of totals betters, let's talk about starting pitching that we like to do every week, uh, who get the most run support per nine innings. Who are the pitchers in each league who get the most run support per nine innings? The American League um, has a new guy on top of the list, hasn't had as many reps as some of the others, but Phil Hughes is averaging nine runs of support per nine innings that he pitches. Of course, he hasn't pitched nearly as many innings as most pitchers in baseball thus far this year. He actually just showed up in mid-April. But something to note now, 
Uh, he's followed by Brandon Morrow, who is at 7.46 runs per game of uh, runs per nine innings of support. Luke O'Shaver of the Royals, 7.36 runs of support, though it's short and happened for him on Sunday pitching for the Royals. None of the pitchers in the top 20 in the American League, no, check that, number 20 is the only guy who's pitching tonight. Number 20 happens to be Jeff Neiman of the Tampa Bay Rays. He's getting almost six runs of support, 5.94 runs of support per nine innings uh, every time he's gone to the mound this year. Um, I happen to be backing Jeff Neiman in the Rays today, not for this reason. I will shortly get to what the additional reason uh, beyond my forum thread write-up is, or my forum write-up thread let me say that again. My forum write-up thread uh, indicated there's an additional reason that I will get to a little later on today's show. National League, um, biggest run support per nine innings pitched. This guy remains at the top. Kevin Correa, 9.26 runs per nine innings pitched, followed by Randy Wolf, 9.14, and Josh Johnson, 8.16. Those guys have been on top of that National League list for a little while now. You know, the National League thing is interesting. I mean, those guys just keep getting support. Now, if we look at the National League Top 20 and we see hmm, who is on the list that is pitching today, Aaron Cook of Colorado, 6.82 runs per nine innings of support. You know, he pitches for Colorado. They tend to score a lot of runs, but... Aaron Cook, number eight. Now, what does that mean for our betting purposes? Does that mean that you can expect Aaron Cook to keep getting that kind of run support or that you look at that statistic and you say, hmm, I can't expect that every time? And what I'm suggesting is it's more the latter. You have to this, – this is completely a sign of good fortune. Run support has nothing to do with the starting pitcher himself. So – in an Aaron Cook situation, he may be overvalued as translated into a betting line. So today, Aaron Cook is on the mound. He happens to be facing Roy Halladay. This, this statistic is not why I wouldn't take Aaron Cook, in other words. Each one of these points is just one data point. They, shouldn't be bled, uh, they should not be bet blindly based on the one point per se. So in this case, I look at Aaron Cook. He's got 6.82 runs of support per nine innings. Oh, by the way, in 10th place, the guy he's facing today, Roy Halladay, who doesn't need the runs of board but yet gets it from the Phillies, another team that just rakes um, at 6.59 runs per game. So you can just throw out that statistic as far as tonight's matchup is concerned. Um, Dan Heron is number 13. Of course, he pitches for the Diamondbacks. They score a lot of runs anyway. Dan Heron's getting 6.24 runs of support per nine innings. The interesting person, I think, on the National League list, uh, National League Top 20 list that pitches tonight is Randy Wells. Randy Wells of the Chicago Cubs gets 6.21 runs of support per nine innings pitched. Now, let's file that bit of information away. Just keep that in mind. Randy Wells of the Cubs is in 14th place in the National League. That dude gets 6.21 runs of support per nine innings pitch. So, interesting guys who have had a lot of um, help this year went on the mound. Our point in all of that, again, not only for totals betters, but also in this case for sides, 
is to say, hmm, perhaps Randy Wells gets a little too much respect in the betting lines. Maybe those betting lines are not factoring in this bit of good fortune that he gets. Again, if you dive deeper into the stats, a lot of these betting lines don't factor these things in. That's our whole point of looking into these stats and beyond that into sabermetrics. We want to find an edge that is not reflected in the betting line that the average square better has no clue about. That's the whole point of this endeavor. So it's interesting to me that Randy Wells is 14th at 6.21 runs per nine innings of support. Let's file that away for now. Before we get into the sabermetrics, let's talk about the best and worst run line teams in all of baseball. Uh, I am not a run lines better, as you know, but again, I want to, just as we do cater to the totals betters, let's talk about the best and worst run line teams in all of baseball in case you enjoy your run line betting. The number one, by the way, the number one money line team, before we even get into the run lines, let's talk about who just in general, the number one run line and the worst, excuse me, the number one money line team in all of baseball and the worst money line team in all of baseball. Actually, that's kind of interesting too. In other words, this is a this is a reflection of if you had bet blindly from game one of the season up through today, up until today, if you had bet blindly to win a unit or to risk a unit, whether favorite or dog, on a specific team each and every single game they played, this is how you would have fared over the course of all of those games. And if you had done it for each and every team in baseball, you know, these are the teams that would have won you the most. These are the teams that would have lost you the most. And this is on money line, not talking about run line yet. This is just the types of recommendations I make on the thread. These are just sides. The number one money line team in all of baseball at this point. Guess. I'm waiting. If you said Washington Nationals, you are correct. If you had bet the money line on the Nationals... From day one through today, or until today, the Nationals would have won you over 12 units. They would have won you the most money, the Nationals. And we have successfully backed them several times this year. By the way, number two, the San Diego Padres, who would have won you just over eight units. So when I say that the Nationals would have won you the most, it's by a long, it's by a landslide at this point. The Nationals are clearly the most profitable money line team in all of baseball until, you know, to this point. San Diego second, the Yankees, believe it or not, in third. Who's the worst? The Chicago Cubs. And that has everything to do with them being just so public. The lines are just so weighted towards them for no other reason than squares love the Cubbies because they don't deserve to have lines like they do on a daily basis. They're not that good. Sorry, Cubs fan. But if you had bet blindly on the Cubs each and every day this season, you'd be down over 11 units. That simple. Second worst and third worst shouldn't be too much of a surprise. Houston and Baltimore, they just suck. So it's pretty simple on that side of things, but it is interesting. The Nationals are the best money line team. The Cubs, the worst money line team, uh, money line team up until today. Now, how does that inform our betting moving forward? 
Um, I don't know. This the, the the money line and the run line stats that we're giving right now, it really is your job to sort of assess moving forward. Well, okay, that's good to know thus thus far. Do I see you know something weighted in a Cubs line that shouldn't be there? Maybe I should take an extra look at the Nationals, that sort of thing. But let's talk about run lines, because that's actually what I'm here for in terms of looking at the teams. Because a lot of folks like to bet run lines. So, who are the best run line and worst run line teams in all of baseball? And has this information changed since a week ago? Number one run line team in all of baseball remains the New York Mets. Over 15 units to the positive. If you had bet the Mets run line every single day this year, whether as a favorite, giving a run and a half, or as a dog, getting a run and a half. Over 15 units strong. And by the way, they're number one by some space now. Because number two, getting you about mm, 12.35 units for the season. The Toronto Blue Jays. The Toronto Blue Jays. The number two run line team in all of baseball. Run line for the Blue Jays, 23-11 and 11 on the season. And if you watch these Blue Jays games, I mean, and this is without, this is without doing any extensive research on this subject, but this team scores runs. Again, Ricky Romero is a great example. If you back Ricky Romero, it doesn't matter how many runs this guy gives up at this point. The Blue Jays find a way to come back and win games. They score a lot of runs. Yesterday, Red Sox, Blue Jays. Was that who the Red Sox played yesterday? Blue Jays managed to lose by just a run. They were down three, and the Blue Jays end up scoring too late. They only lose seven to six. Now, I hope I'm getting that correct. My memory serves correctly. All these baseball games sort of running one into, uh, running into each other for me. But yeah, the Red Sox end up winning that game. Excuse the background noise there. The Red Sox end up winning that game 7-6. Uh, to six. So great example of that last night. But the Blue Jays, the second best um, run line team in all of baseball. Number three, besides, besides the Mets at number one, Toronto at number two, it's the Yankees. They're number three. Third best run line team in baseball. Who are the worst run line teams? If you had bet on this team blindly on the run line each and every day of the season, who would have cost you nearly 13 units? The Houston Astros. Bad in real life, bad on the run line. That's their motto. The Houston Astros. Catch the fever. Second worst run line team in baseball might surprise you. They're still, well, they won't surprise you if you've been following this podcast at this point because we've mentioned them every week. It's the Chicago White Sox. Over 11.5 units down. They would have put you 11.5 units in the red at this point if you had bet the White Sox each and every game all season long. And as we've said every week when mentioning the White Sox in this stat, it's because of the early season Burley and Peavy disaster. Or disasters, I should say. Burley and Peavy were such big favorites in so many games early on, and they just got shelled. And the White Sox run line, as a result, still recovering from that stretch. The number three worst run line team in all of baseball is the Red Sox at over 10 units down. But if you recall, up until this week, they were the worst. And I said on those shows, 
our job is to try to extrapolate from this information which of these teams will still be the worst or still be the best against the run line moving forward. And when mentioning the Red Sox, I did say I do not expect that the Red Sox will continue to top this list. And sure enough, here they are starting to fall and fall quickly off the worst run line list in all of baseball. In other words, expect the Red Sox to win more run line games than lose from this point forward. And that so far has been happening. The Red Sox, you can sort of sense it in the air with the Red Sox, and it's reflected in this run line total. The bad part of their season is over. They have sort of turned the corner, it feels like, in Boston. It's sort of in the air. They all of a sudden score in a mess of runs, and it just has the feel of having turned around. Still a barely over 500 ball club, don't get me wrong. They still got to chase the Yankees and the Red Sox. They still got a long way to go. They may not get there, but the part of them stinking up the joint seems to be over. Um, Number four worst run line and number five worst, just since we're here. Cleveland's the number four worst run line team and the Angels, excuse me, uh, the, the Braves and the Angels pretty much in a dead heat for fifth worst run line teams at about nine and a half units roughly in the red. So again, very um, sort of informative glance at which teams do well against certain betting lines, whether it be totals, whether it be money lines, whether it be run lines. In the run line cases, I like to say every week, I sort of view the run line as sort of a power ranking kind of thing. Not in the sense of how a standard mainstream website defines power ranking, but I'm just talking about just in terms of their ability to be powerful or very weak baseball teams on any given night. Because if you're great against the run line, you're keeping games close when you lose, you're pounding teams when you win. You're winning by more than one and a half, in other words. And if you suck against the run line, you're not keeping it within a run when you're an underdog, and you're getting pounded, in other words, on that run line when you're a dog. You're either getting pounded or you're barely squeaking by winning games when you win. If you happen to be a favorite, which most of these teams, you know, in the Baltimore and Houston cases, although we didn't mention Baltimore, as you noticed, um, they're not in the top five worst. Houston, probably not going to be a favorite in many games. They're simply just getting crushed when they're underdogs by more than a run and a half. So, interesting to look at, always informative. Let's take it one step further today, because we've talked about those stats on a week-to-week basis, and that's a good sort of primer for totals betters and run line betters, if you choose to do those two things. That, as always, is your prerogative. I don't happen to do them, but, you know, again, we want to make sure that all betters are served here, because it's always an interesting sort of exercise to go through, and we can only help but learn. But let's talk about a sabermetric statistic that I often throw out in my threads. In fact, I would say during my threads, it's my favorite uh, sabermetric statistic to cite. We don't talk about it, or we haven't talked about it yet on the sabermetric show on Wednesday with Base Winner. We will eventually get to this uh, sabermetric stat. But for whatever reason, I tend to gravitate towards it um, on the thread, and it's BABIP, otherwise known as batting average on balls in play. So I've recited the ridiculous formula numerous times um, on other things like 
FIP and XFIP, BABIP's formula is much simpler. And again, you don't have to know this, but just for the exercise, here it is. It's hits minus homers divided by at-bats minus strikeouts minus homers plus sacrifice flies. Again, you don't need to know that, but as you can tell, this one's a little simpler than some of the crazier ones that I've given you in the past. But essentially, here's, here's, here's what it is in, in real life, in, in actual English. Batting average on balls in play, B-A-B-I-P, is trying to determine, and they have them for pitchers and hitters, by the way, but it's simply trying to determine whether a pitcher or hitter has had good or bad luck. It's that simple. And 300 is basically average in Major League Baseball. So with BABIP, our goal is to try to find out which pitchers have supposedly had the most luck thus far this season versus which pitchers have supposedly had the worst luck this season. Now, the interesting thing about BABIP is how you interpret these numbers. So if a pitcher has a BABIP that is, oh, I don't know, 150, well, you can probably say from that, hmm, will that person regress to the mean? In other words, he's been pretty lucky, it looks like, based on that statistic. But is it luck, or is that pitcher just that good? That's the question you have to ask. Reverse is true. If a pitcher's BABIP is 450, let's say, is the pitcher really that bad, or is the pitcher's BABIP going to regress back to the mean? Is he actually going to pitch better than what the numbers, what the mainstream numbers might have indicated up until that point? Hope that's sort of clear. So BABIP, like all sabermetrics, are designed to delve deeper into numbers to see if a pitcher, in this case with BABIP, has have been lucky or unlucky up until this point, and then it's incumbent upon us to sort of say, okay... Is that a true reflection of how this guy actually pitches? Is he actually better or worse than the mainstream numbers like ERA or WHIP or what have you indicate? Or has he just been blind, lucky, or unlucky up until now, and it's going to regress to the mean? That's sort of our job. It's one thing to have the numbers in front of us. It's another thing to try to extrapolate from them. That's sort of the interesting thing about sabermetrics in this case, batting average on balls in play because it's up to us to then interpret as it is with any number. But these make for an even more interesting uh, job to interpret. So let's talk about BABIP. Um, number one BABIP pitcher in all of baseball, Levon Hernandez of the Washington Nationals. Interesting. The Nationals are the number one money line team in baseball. Levon, which I did not mention, he's the single number one starting pitcher on the money line in all of baseball. In other words, if you bet starting pitchers blindly each and every start of their season, one unit to win or to risk one unit, whether they're favorite or dog, Levon is the number one pitcher in all of baseball. And what do you know? He's the number one BABIP pitcher in all of baseball. 188 is the batting average on balls in play against him. Levon Hernandez your Sabermetrics MVP and betting MVP up until this point in the Major League Baseball season. It's that simple. Number two is a gentleman I'm backing on the mound today for the Tampa Bay Rays, Jeff Neiman of the Rays. 
His BABIP is 211. Batting average on balls in play against Neiman is just 211. Again, it's nice because you have batting average stats in your head, and so you know what 211 means. So the question then becomes with Neiman, well, it's 211, Gil. Why don't you think that's just going to regress to the major league mean of 300? 211, you know, how do we interpret? And I guess what I'm saying to you is I've seen Jeff Neiman pitch, and I happen to think that 211 is more consistent with the way he pitches these days than any regression to the mean that ought to happen, you know, at some point down the road if you buy into that theory for anyone. But my point is I look at 211 with Neiman, much like I do 188 with Levon. Sure, there'll be some regression probably over time. Not the way those two guys are pitching now. And I guess what I'm saying from a betting perspective is, interesting, here's Neiman in a game tonight. Tampa Bay facing the Angels, Neiman at Kazmir. And Neiman is extremely affordable. Now, I mentioned in my write-up, the standard stats, right-handed hitters batting just 152 versus Neiman this season. Torrey Hunter, Juan Rivera, Howie Kendrick, Mike Napoli, they all bat from the right side of the plate. Definitely, definitely the Angels have some good left-handed batters, though. Not that they're raking Neiman, but they definitely have some good left-handed batters. But I also mentioned that Neiman's whip is 0.99. That's fourth best in the American League up until this point this season. But if you delve even further into Neiman's numbers, he's even better than those numbers indicate. The second best BABIP pitcher in all of baseball at 211. And for those who say, well, wait a minute, but shouldn't his BABIP then indicate that he's just been blind lucky to this point? And again, here's where you have to actually watch baseball games. With someone like Doug Davis last night with Milwaukee, who had a 440-something, or I can't remember what it was, B-A-B-I-P, I look at that number and I go, yeah, he's just bad. That ain't some dumb luck this guy's having. Though he did pitch better last night. It wasn't nearly as bad as the line score indicated. Or as the sabermetrics indicated. But in Neiman... Again, I see that 211, the second best BA, BIP in baseball, and I'm all about him tonight at the LA Angels. So just another sort of indicator that allows us to look further into pitchers and baseball stats in general and develop conclusions. By the way, some of the other pitchers who have had the best BA, BIP thus far, Phil Hughes, John Garland of the Padres, 224. Chris Volstad, 224. Here's another guy. Now, here's two guys who are pitching tonight. And you'll see that in my write-ups, I indicate a lean, but I don't pull the trigger on them. Tim Hudson's BABIP is 227. Barry Zito's is 228. In both of those write-ups, I indicate, without using the word lean, if you read them, I indicate that I'm tempted by both Hudson and Zito and the Braves and Giants, respectively. But I don't pull the trigger on either of those two guys in either of those two games. The reasons in both being that I think the Giants are just a tick too expensive against a guy like Wade LeBlanc and the Padres. And in the case of Tim Hudson, 
uh, you know, I liked Hanson yesterday. I thought Hanson had a lot more value. And while I certainly like Hudson and he gets it done stats-wise, I still can't completely trust that Braves offense. Um, so, and then by the way, Bush, who's pitching for the Brewers tonight, pitches great against Atlanta lifetime. So I just decided to stay away there. But again, in the case of Neiman, the number two BABIP, excuse me, I can't even say it anymore. The number two BABIP pitcher in all of baseball behind LeVon, I did pull the trigger. Just, I could go into this stuff all day. I mean, I could, by the way, when you shut off the podcast, I'll still be here checking out sabermetric stats. Shall we talk about some of the worst sabermetrics, BABIP pitchers in all of baseball? Because, again, I could be here all day talking about the best. But as a sort of nod towards tonight's game, or games, I should say, let's take a look at some of the worst BABIP pitchers in all of baseball. Mentioned last night, Doug Davis of the Brewers, the single worst starter in all of baseball, BABIP. Now, he did regress a little towards the mean last night. So perhaps Davis, not as bad as that number indicates. But there is one pitcher who pitches tonight who is the third worst BABIP pitcher in all of baseball. 383 is the batting average on balls in play against him thus far this year. Randy Wells of the Cubs. Now remember that previously I asked you to take note of a stat. He's getting, he's one of the top 20 National League pitchers in terms of run support per nine innings this season is Randy Wells. Over six runs of support per game for the Cubs hurler. He also happens to be one of the worst BABIP pitchers in all of baseball. So what you have is a guy who is getting really good fortune on run support and a guy who has either had really bad luck on the mound or is actually worse than his mainstream stats indicate. Which is it? It's an interesting interpretation to make. Will, like Doug Davis, will he regress towards the mean tonight? Batting average on balls in play-wise? Or will he finally get no run support and be just as bad B-A-B-I-P-wise as he has been? Again, these are the interpretations you need to make. It's sort of like, huh, I've seen this guy. What does my judgment then indicate knowing these stats? I hope that makes sense. It gets a little sort of brainy at times with trying to, you know, interpret on a podcast or explain on a podcast what you what our job is in terms of converting it to a betting edge. But that's essentially what I try to do. And in the case of Randy Wells tonight, he goes up for the Cubs against Florida Marlins and Ricky Nolasco. And again, you see, much like I leaned, if you read my thread with Barry Zito and the Giants, if you read my thread with Tim Hudson and the Braves, you see which way I'm tempted. In the case of uh, the Marlins and Cubs, Nolasco is the guy I love. And I really want to take a flyer on Nolasco here at such a affordable price. And part of those reasons that you see me leaning are these 
sabermetric stats, both uh, in the case of Hudson, in the case of Zito, and now in the case of this Nolasco-Wells matchup. The reason that I didn't end up fading Wells in much the same way that I faded Davis last night, for instance, is because in this case, while I sensed that the Braves had Hansen going and that Hansen was just on top of his game and that Davis was imminently hittable, I just don't quite have the same feel for the Marlins tonight. They're batting just 210 over their last seven ball games. Nolasco himself has really been the victim of a lack of run support, um, which you could extrapolate from that 210 batting average, but specifically when he's on the mound, the Marlins just don't score for him. And unlike um, Davis or some of the better pitchers with BABIP like Levon and Neiman, but, uh, Wells is one of these guys where I'm really not sure how to interpret his numbers quite yet. I have a good feeling for some of the other guys. In other words, the reason I'm part of the reason I'm pulling the trigger on Neiman in the Rays is because I really do have confidence in him. But with a guy like Wells, I'll be the first person to admit to you, I'm really not sure what to make of the number. To me, he's just as likely to regress to the mean. In other words, I take the Saber metric at its face value that he has flat out been as 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 just unlucky thus far this year. I take that as just as big a possibility as I do in thinking he's somehow been overrated by the mainstream numbers. So I just don't have as good a feel for Wells as I did for some of the other pitchers, whether great or terrible in BABIP. Neiman, Davis last night, that kind of thing. Wells is too much of a gray area for me to pull the trigger against even with Ricky Nolasco on the mound. And again, there's the other extenuating circumstances of the Marlins offense, etc. This is what makes baseball betting so interesting and is so different from the other sports, in my opinion, just wrapping it up. Because there's so many numbers. There's so much data at our disposal. And it makes for, to me, a much more fascinating betting experience. And in the end a much more profitable one because you can say, Oh, I don't know what he's talking about. All these numbers. Jesus, just make a pick, blah, blah, blah. Okay. You do it your way. I'm just saying there's a whole bunch of us who do it our way and we do pretty well doing it this way. And I just think there's a lot of insight to be learned from those numbers. We do not apologize for our geekiness. No, sir. We do not. We embrace it. So again, tonight, um, just another night where, Sabermetrics informs our betting dollar. Because again, the whole point in all this is to convert these numbers into a betting edge so that we can win money. We're trying to find value. It all comes down to finding value no matter how you cap. In baseball, this is the way we do it. Gil Alexander, betting dork, pregame.com. Hope you enjoyed it. Whether umpire over under totals, run line totals, run support totals, or some sabermetrics, batting average on balls and play totals. And again, if you want to amuse yourself, check out Tim Donahue's Facebook page. I think you'll find it quite interesting. Gil Alexander, Benning Dork, thanks for listening. Tomorrow, Sabermetrics Madness with Base Winner. Talk to you then. <laughs> 